0: morning. If you have a Bible, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 35, and that'll be in just a a few minutes here. You can scan the code and join us uh, through the app as well, uh, the Bible app. Thanks for being here. Thanks for those uh, who are online. Um, We're different places, but one church. If you need a Bible, slip a hand up. We'll get one in your hands. The last couple of weeks, we've talked about the shortness of time while we're here on this earth and just how brief it is. We've also talked about the reality of heaven and hell and that they are real places. They're not just make-believe as some people are in the habit of doing. The idea of an intermediate heaven we talked about last week, this place where believers, when we, when we die, where do we go until the final heaven is complete? And today, I'm gonna to talk about heaven and our glorified bodies, I do have to start by saying um, I've been a little bit taken back this morning by Vikings fans, people shoving their gear in my face, um, saying things about the game, and somebody even asked if we could change the colors on the stage. Uh, I, that's what I thought. thought that was a little extreme. Anyway, Kirk Cousins, after living a full life, died. When he got to heaven, God was showing him around, and they came to this nice little bungalow house, and God was walking him up to it and said, Kirk, this is your house for all eternity. Nice little faded Vikings flag in the window, and, and, and Kirk was just so grateful, and as he was going up the driveway, he looked over and he saw this absolute mansion. It was blue and orange. The sidewalks were blue and orange, the driveway was blue and orange, the swimming pool was the shape of a bear. They had this huge flagpole, this, this banner flying off the flagpole, Justin Fields' jersey on the front door. And, and Kirk looked at God and said, God, I'm, I'm not trying to be ungrateful, but I do have a question. I've completed 63% of my passes and have a QB rating of 84. God said, so what's your point? Well, why does Justin Fields get a better house than me? He only he's only completed 50% of his passes and he has a QB rating of fifty-eight. And God just laughed. And that's not Justin's house, that's my house. <laughs> Here, here's here's the bad news, guys. Um, as I was preparing this message, it's gonna be about three hours long. So I'm, I hope you I hope you recorded the game, but anyway, for us to fully understand the idea of heaven and new these new glorified bodies that we're going to talk about, I want to take us back to the beginning uh, in the garden with Adam and Eve, and I think what we'll find there is going to help us unpack and understand the hope that we cling to for a new earth and and uh, new bodies. The Bible speaks of Adam and Eve disobeying God and bringing sin into the world, ultimately causing the fall of humanity. And the fall had a great effect upon the conditions of both the earth and upon humankind. First, there's the spiritual separation. The perfect relationship that God had designed between between himself and humanity was broken because of the fall. And sin caused a separation between man and God. That was the first effect. There was a judgment placed on the woman. First, the woman would suffer increased pain in giving birth to children. I have verified that, and it is true. Had the fall not occurred, the pain of childbirth would not exist. There was judgment on the man. Man, because of the fall, would now have to to labor on a cursed earth just to survive, Work surely existed before the fall happened, but, but now it would be uh, just incredible, uh, exhausting toil and this, this suffering to have to work. He could no longer just partake and eat of the, of the land, he had to work for it now. There was judgment on earth itself. The original created earth was, was originally perfect without defect and after the fall, the earth began this degenerating process and the ground was filled with thorns and thistles. Adam and Eve, as mentioned last week, were expelled from the garden. And they were in the garden. They had this wonderful relationship with God. But, but after they sinned, after they ate of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, God said, you're out of the garden. And he protected the garden at the east end with his, with his flaming sword. And one of the things that um, some will say about this flaming sword is to protect re-entrance into the garden because if Adam and Eve were able to come back into the garden, they would eat of the tree of life and they would stay in that condition, potentially, for all eternity. That's why we saw the tree of life last week kind of woven throughout scripture. God protected them from making a temporary yet permanent choice. The other thing is death is real. All creation is subject to death. All people, all animals, all plants. Romans 8.22 says, all creation groans, waiting for a time when Christ will return to liberate it from the effects of death. All this to say, to go back to the beginning, All this to say is we live with broken lives on a cursed earth. Praise God there's hope, and that there is a solution for both of these realities. I wanna dive in and ask a couple of questions, and we're gonna focus our time this morning on the idea of a glorified body. The first question is, what examples of glorified bodies are found in the Bible? And I wanna present to you three. The first is Moses and Elijah. In Luke chapter nine, 28 through 31, and these scriptures will be on the screen for you until we get to the first Corinthians passage. This is what it says. About eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter, John, and James with him and went up onto the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face began to change and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. And two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor, talking with Jesus. And they spoke about his departure which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. So the first example is this idea that Moses and Elijah appeared physically with Jesus at the transfiguration. So both men had already gone to heaven. So we have a couple options of what could have happened. One is they had already gone to heaven where maybe they were in spirit form And then they came back into physical form and then they returned back to spirit form. That'd be one possibility, that'd be one option. Another option might be they came to earth in the same temporary bodies they had in the intermediate heaven. So last week I presented this idea of the intermediate heaven or this temporary heaven until the final heaven. I also believe this idea that there's temporary bodies until we receive our full resurrection bodies. There's Paul, 2 Corinthians 12, three and four. And he's painting this picture and he says, I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, but God knows, was caught up to paradise and heard inexpressible things, things that no one is permitted to tell. And so Paul calls this place that he is caught up into, uh, paradise, and he's recounting as to whether or not Um, did he have a physical body or didn't he have a physical body? Since he thought there was a possibility that he had a physical body, he might have had a body and and that's important, but what we do know is that Paul didn't say with certainty that he didn't have a physical body. What we do know is that we do not receive our final bodies or what we call our resurrection bodies immediately after death, like I just shared a minute ago. If, in fact, we do have intermediate forms of physical bodies while we're in this intermediate heaven, we do know that they will not be our current earthly bodies that have died. The bodies that people have right now in the intermediate heaven are temporary, quite possibly like human appearing bodies that angels take on when they visit earth. Another example is Jesus. Luke 24, 39, he says, look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself, touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. Look at my hands and my feet. And so Jesus, even Jesus is an example of this, we get a glimpse of what our resurrection bodies will be like when we recall Jesus' post-resurrection appearances. His wounds are still visible, and his disciples could, could literally physically touch him, yet he was able to travel effortlessly and appear and disappear at will. He could go through walls and doors, yet he was able to eat and drink, and he could sit and he could talk. Luke 24, 41 through 43 says, and while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? So they didn't believe him, and so he takes it to a next level, and he says, do you have anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. John 20, 27, then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands? Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Scripture informs us that our lowly bodies will be just like His glorious body. The physical and emotional limitations that are imposed by sin that hinder our ability to fully serve him while we're here on this earth, that will be forever gone, freeing us to praise and to serve and to glorify him for all eternity. Those are some of the examples of glorified bodies. The second question is, what does the Bible tell us about glorified bodies? First Corinthians 15, Um, where I encourage you to turn earlier, 1 Corinthians 15, beginning in verse 35 through 44. I'm gonna read this passage and then we'll unpack it a little bit. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? How foolish. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or something else. But God gives it a body as he has determined, and to each kind of seed he gives its own body. Not all flesh is the same. People have one kind of flesh, animals have another kind of flesh, birds another, and fish another. There are also heavenly bodies, and there are earthly bodies. But the splendor of the heavenly bodies is one kind, and the splendor of the earthly bodies is another. The sun has one kind of splendor, the moon has another, and stars another. And star differs from star in splendor so will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable, it is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Fascinating passage of scripture. Paul is suggesting here that each person will be unique and will differ one from another. Even though you thought heaven might be your one chance to have everyone else look as good as you, think intelligently, deep thoughts like you, act perfect like you, guess what? Heaven will be perfect, but it won't be because you're there and it won't be because I'm there. It's like that saying, if you, if you find a perfect church, please, whatever you do, do not go there because you'll mess it up, right? The same for heaven. In fact, if in fact you and I could make heaven less perfect than it is, trust me, we would. So just keep telling yourself how great the world would be if everyone else was just like you, because then I think you'll be pleasantly surprised when you step into eternity. After Paul had, had taught about the resurrection of the body, the Greeks, another group of people, who were well entrenched into philosophy, came back, so they listened to all this, they came back and said, based on all reasoning, the resurrection of the body is an absolute impossibility. They said, after all, when the body is laid in the ground, it returns to dust from which it came. And then Paul looked at them, and with all the compassion and grace he could conjure up, he said, you fools. And that's what he said in the scripture, you fools. Paul's entire explanation of the resurrection of the body was to say, resurrection is not reconstruction. Jesus came out of the grave the same as he went in, as did Lazarus. But what about a person who has deteriorated over a few years? This is a, this is a common question. What about a person who is cremated and their ashes are spread over the Pacific Ocean? Nowhere in scripture does God say he will put together the pieces and return us to our former bodies. There is a connection between our physical body that dies and the new body that we're going to receive. There's some kind of connection, right? And the continuity is there. However, the identity will change. Our new body will not be our old body. But there is a connection somehow, and Paul is speaking in regards to that. Paul knew he was faced with a group of people who would not just buy into this this whole resurrection body thing and so he opted to give three basic analogies to help them understand. He said, okay, let me give you three analogies, maybe you can get it. And the first one was the seed analogy and I love this analogy. 35 through 38 verses. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? This is where he says, how foolish. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you do not plant the body, that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or something else. But God gives it a body as he has determined, and to each kind of seed he gives its own body. When you plant a seed in the ground, you do not return at harvest expecting to see the same seed. You come expecting to see something that has grown out of that seed. Nor do you plant a watermelon and expect to come back and find a cantaloupe. So the seed you sow will not be the exact fruit or vegetable you harvest. However, there will be continuity between the two. And that's what Paul's saying. There's something that links us from here and now to then and there regarding our bodies the harvest is always more beautiful and more developed and more complete than just the original seed that was planted. What value would there be for God to just collect all of the parts and reassemble us to be the same? What if you got the parts mixed up? Can you imagine men ending up with your wife's brain? We wouldn't know what to do with the brain that has been so developed and so used. Women, imagine ending up with a man's brain. For the first time, a light bulb would go off. You would literally come to the conclusion that when you've heard a man say to you, I'm thinking about nothing, you would actually now believe it, but that is possible. Verse 42 through 44. It says the physical body that is sown is perishable. In other words, it will wear out. It will decay. It's only good for so long. While I was finishing up my undergraduate work and master's degree, I worked at a place in Iowa called AGI. We were a warehouse that serviced a bunch of uh, grocery stores. And I was the perishable foods uh, inspector manager manager. It was my job to inspect all the produce and all the meat and all the, the vegetables and, that would come in and, and, and the dairy. And, but the dairy and the meat were easy because they had, they had dates on the box. And so you could literally just look at it and say, well, this is too close dated, so we don't want it. Or sometimes we would receive it anyway, like, like uh, yogurt, and we just pass it out to all the workers. But, but produce was a little different story. So there were unique things you had to check for. And I still remember um, watermelon is transported in a semi-truck about waist high, and they're just stacked on top of each other. And uh, you had to go in, and, and it was called lumping. So one person would unload the truck. You grab a watermelon, you throw it to another person. They put it in a crate. There'd be 50 in a crate. They'd move the crate. And they'd start all over. Well, as that's happening, I'm working my way into the truck, checking these watermelon. And one of the easiest tests for watermelon is uh, Lori and I. Lori still thinks I have it because we go pick out a watermelon. She's like, "You pick out the watermelon. You know how to do this." I'm like, "No, no." So you pick up a watermelon and you, you do the thumb test and you press as hard as you can with your thumb and see. Um, if if your thumb just pops in, it just obviously is a sign that it's overripe. And we had this truckload of overripe watermelon, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of watermelon that I had to tell the truck driver were not taken. And he had just driven from Georgia all the way to Ankeny, Iowa without stopping, literally. And he said, what do you want me to do with these? And I said, "That's that's not our issue, that's your issue. I don't know what you want to do with them. Our bodies are perishable. And Paul says, when we are raised, we will be imperishable, perfect in every way. We will no longer be under the curse of sin. And Paul teaches in other passages that our body is like a tent. You've probably done camping, you know somebody's done camping, and tents wear out over time through storms and through a lot of use. They just wear out. But then he says, this same body, when it is raised, will be imperishable. In other words, it will be perfect, unable to decay, unable to wear out. In heaven, there is no decay or death. As imperishable bodies no longer suffer from sickness and death. That's an amazing thought. You know, maybe you've had a loved one that has recently passed or um, you've known someone that's passed and maybe here on this earth they've had aches and pains and sickness and things that have just plagued them and um, and zapped them and taken their energy and, and things that they've had to deal with and the hope of heaven when there will be none of that. Our new bodies will be honorable in that way. They will not be shamed or shameful because of sin. When Adam and Eve sinned, the first thing they felt was shame because of their nakedness. Do you remember that? And although the Bible doesn't portray glorified bodies as being naked, but rather clothed in white garments, they will be pure and undefiled by sin. Our earthly bodies are weak in many ways. Not only are we subject to the natural laws of gravity and time and space, but we are also weakened by sin and its temptations that we face on a daily basis. Our glorified bodies will be empowered by the spirit that owns us, and weakness will be no more. He uses the flesh analogy, verse 39, Not all flesh is the same. People have one kind of flesh, animals have another, birds have another, and fish have another, he says. We don't have tails like a wolf. Birds don't have fins like a fish. Fish don't have beaks like a bird. If, in fact, God can create such diversity in various forms of the flesh, can he not also make different kinds of bodies for each person at the resurrection? I believe so. Then there's the heavenly body analogy in verse 40 and 41. There are also heavenly bodies and there are earthly bodies, but the splendor of the heavenly bodies is one kind, he says. The splendor of the earthly bodies is another. The sun is one kind of splendor, the moon is a kind of splendor, the stars another, and the stars different from stars in splendor. He says, so it will be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable, it is raised imperishable, sown in dishonor is raised in glory, sown in weakness raised in power, So in a natural body, raised in a spiritual body. If there's a natural body, there's also a spiritual body. So Paul is suggesting here that our glorified bodies will be different than our earthly bodies. And in fact, each person will be different from each other. The sun has one degree of splendor, the moon, the stars, they differ from each in, in magnitude and brightness and beauty in these two verses, Paul is saying, not only will earth, earthly and glorified differ, but glorified bodies will also differ from one another. And people often will ask uh, the question, well, how old will we be in heaven? I, I don't know the answer to that. Um, all I know is that we will be perfect. It doesn't matter. Even if he, if he decided to keep age, we will be perfect. We'll be without ailment. We won't know that about each other. Some have said, well, will we all be the age of 33, the age of Jesus? I don't know. Maybe. Genesis 2, seven says, the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living being. And so we step back even from reading that verse and we ask why does the resurrection of the dead seem so radical knowing that God literally in the beginning took some dust in his hands and he breathed life and made man. Just as our earthly bodies are perfectly suited for this life on earth, our resurrected bodies will be perfectly suited for our life in heaven. We'll have some kind of form, solidity to the touch, maybe no hindrance of travel. We'll be able to enjoy food but not driven to it by necessity for nourishment or fleshly desire. The bodies we'll inherit will be more like God had originally planned for us, rather than what we now abide in due to the weakness of our sinful flesh. We'll be glorified with Christ, and that glory will extend to the bodies that we inhabit. I don't know if you have read the book, Heaven, by Randy Alcorn, or if you're, if you're reading it. Several of you are, are reading that now, and several of you are, have picked up the, the children's copies and are, are sharing that with your children at bedtime. I've heard different stories. and one of, the, one of the things that Randy presents that I've always been fascinated by, and it kind of just, my mind is kind of poof when I first read it the very first time, is this idea of this right here could be heaven. I want you to imagine, and this is what he does in the book, but imagine that heaven could be very similar to what we experience now. We work, we have relationships, we worship, we have hobbies, but there's no sin. And so that's why we can't get our minds around it. But imagine the possibility that it could be very similar in experience of a lot of the things that we experience today, there's just no sin. It's a crazy thought, isn't it? I want to leave you with Philippians three twenty-one. I think it, I think it says a lot. As I close, He will take our weak, mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like His own, using the same power with which He will bring everything under His control what hope we have in Christ what hope we have in our eternal home for believers God thank you for your word and um, there are several scripture passages Lord that you have provided us that are pretty specific that we can draw conclusions from and yet not have all of our questions answered but the intrigue is there And may that point us to this this great desire, this great hope that we have in heaven. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your truth. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.